0: here. So remember all those beautiful words about optimizing for truth, right? Pursuing truth rather than happiness. Pursuing truth rather than views, right? Those beautiful words that we had yesterday from the the Decoding the Gurus, right? Well, do they really pursue truth or do they just pursue politically correct and convenient forms of truth? So let me replay the the start of... uh, uh, this little rendition here by university of central queensland psychology professor
1: matt brown in science and these like postmodernists, so that's why he doesn't like the book yeah
2: look here's, here's my take on that chris which is that i mean it's very hard to beat something like this because when you optimize for public appeal um then and you focus on making that your main priority then you are going to do better for the people than the people that are optimizing for just merely being effective or <laughs> being true right um so you know, it, it, we have the same problem, uh, and it's existed for, for years, right? With complementary and alternative medicines as opposed to conventional medicine. Conventional medicine is unpleasant, alienating, treats you like a piece of meat, doesn't doesn't feel good in any way, shape or form. Nobody enjoys visiting a hospital. Um, whereas complementary and alternative medicines, all right, are optimized to make you feel good, all right, are optimized for, for to, to 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 be appealing. Um, then it's going to be very difficult to sort of somehow educate people or something, you know, to to do anything really. When when you know, like, if 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 you're focused on being popular. And you make that your, your main criteria, then you're going to be you're going to come up with a product that is more appealing than than the healthy option. So, yeah, I think it's the same thing with with academic whatever knowledge um, versus these pretenders because they they make it their business. I mean, apart from in the case they spent it's a full time job for them, right? Like those names, someone was asking about statisticians, right? Trevor Hasty, um, Leo Bryman, um David um, Donahoe. Uh, uh,
0: okay, so that's uh, Professor Matt Brown from from Decoding the Gurus, talking about the importance of, of optimizing the truth. Do you, do you put a priority on truth or do you put a priority on something else? But uh, there are all sorts of truths, of course, that the Decoding the Gurus guys don't want to get into as they left us And uh, Jonathan Haidt here has an excellent little video on the different ways that the, the right and the left deny truth.
3: Instead, if you sacralize your your political ideologies, heroes, you cannot think straight. And this is where we are in the sciences. It's obvious that if you're, if you're a, a, um, a, a, a social conservative, uh, a, a evangelical, young Earther, creationist, you probably shouldn't be going into a PhD program in biology or geology, okay? It's just gonna be really hard for you to deal with reality If You deny evolution and the age of the earth. Okay, Uh, you shouldn't go into American history If you say America is the greatest country on earth and it simply cannot have committed war crimes We just don't do that. I mean that's that should be a disqualification But what about on the left? Um, Suppose you uh, suppose you had students coming in who deny that IQ matters Uh, Not anymore, but for decades it's just very uncomfortable because there are race differences in IQ The general view is IQ is a bad test. It doesn't measure, and it doesn't matter. We can't allow that IQ matters. Uh, Because IQ is heritable, we can't allow that heritability matters. Uh, Environment has to be everything. Uh, The left has always believed that environment can overcome everything else. So uh, can you do social science if you deny heritability, you think everything is environment when it isn't? Um, The left is full of sex difference deniers. Uh, Hormones are fine for other animals. Hormones affect behavior in other animals but how sexist of you to suggest that male and female differences could in any way be due to the fact that they are exposed to different hormones prenatally. That just is ruled out of bounds. Now, it's not that the left denies evolution. That's fine for other animals. But evolutionary psychology? Well, that's almost sexist and racist. No, evolution didn't shape human beings. Um, and last, the biggest area in my field is the study of stereotypes and prejudice. Um, and we're trying, it's an important social problem We try to solve it while not allowing anybody to even mention the largest cause of stereotypes and prejudice. There is a small research literature showing that the reason why people hold stereotypes is because they're accurate. Most stereotypes do correspond to some measurable, observable fact about the environment. Now, they are often misinterpretations. The stereotype often lingers long after the reality changes. So I'm not saying that stereotypes are perfectly accurate. But I'm saying a big part of the story is that People are really good at detecting differences between groups. We're intuitive Bayesians. We pick up frequencies. You can't stop the brain from doing this. So suppose you had a whole group of people coming into social psychology who were the equivalent of young earth creationists who say, I'm going to study stereotyping and prejudice, but I'm going to just rule in advance that there are no differences between groups. And now I'm going to study what's left. That's where we are. So my point is that all groups value the truth okay? Every ideological group believes it values the truth. All groups hold something sacred. And if you hold something sacred, then as I've said, no trade-offs, no nuance. That means that your sacred values are going to conflict with the truth. And when that happens, all groups are the same. They throw truth under the bus, and they go with their sacred values. And that's where we are. So I hope I've shown you. Uh, That political homogeneity, now that we no longer have conservatives in some academic fields, it's a problem. It's bad for our science. We need to clean up our act. Uh, We talk a lot about the value of diversity. Uh, Intellectual diversity is the most important kind of diversity there could be. And I hope finally I've answered for you why it is that social justice has a bad name in much of the country. Um, So how could anyone not want social justice? I'm not denying that selfishness and racism are part of it. But I'm saying that there are some valid moral objections. Why do conservatives distrust scientists and especially social scientists? Uh, well, there are some slight differences in need for cognition. There are some reasons why liberals will predominate, uh, but a lot of the distrust, as I've shown you, is because there are objections to the politicization of science, especially the social sciences. Um, so um, I hope then that I have inspired the Duke University family uh, towards ever greater achievements in social justice, uh, which I hope will mean uh, it's time for re-examination The 60s are over and done with. We have a new set of challenges, much more about class than race. Let's think about what it means. What what does justice really mean in this day and age? Um, uh, And let's think really carefully before we claim to enlist science as being on our side. Uh, Thank you very much. Science based on what your attitudes are towards science and scientists. And, uh, well, I'll just show it very briefly here, but, uh, we will, we will show, we'll, we'll
4: show an image on the, on the video.
3: <clears throat> what it basically shows is that the black bars along the top, uh, the black diamonds are, uh, the numbers for uh, liberals and they stay relatively stable over the last 30 or 40 years. Uh, the bar for conservatives was basically at the same level as the liberals, uh, in the seventy in the uh, 60s and 70s. And then beginning in the 90s, uh, it begins to go down while the uh, liberal graph goes up a little bit and so it is true that in the United States uh, conservatives are they have a lower opinion of science and there are more obvious places where they deny it I'm often asked when I speak on the book uh, by people on the left well you know yeah all that you've said is very interesting but isn't it still true that our view is based on science and reason and evidence and theirs are just based on faith and hatred um, and I have to say well, hold on a second here every group holds things sacred every group values the truth and when the truth and the sacred objects conflict Every group throws truth under the bus. And we see this in evolution. Uh, obviously, the Christian right denies evolution because it threatens the creationist account. But the left has denied evolution, you know, since, certainly since the 70s. Now, um, that might surprise some people, and, and both the left and the right are heterogeneous.
5: So, uh, but uh, expand upon the, your statement that the left have denied evolution. Who among the left has denied evolution?
3: Um, well, nobody denies that it happened for other animals. And nobody denies that evolution shaped our bodies. Nobody on the left denies this. Uh, but when Ed Wilson suggested that it also seems to have shaped human behavior, whoa, you're, you know, you're, gonna, you're opening the door to saying there could be sex differences, there could be race differences. And since what the left sacralizes is equality and anti-racism, they plant their stake in the ground. They say there are no sex differences. There are no race differences. Now, let the evidence sort itself out how it will. These are absolutes. Um, so in my field of psychology, uh, for 30, 40 years, we had uh, evolution deniers. Um, nobody said that they... Know, couldn't believe that evolution affected this. It's such a high bar that you couldn't argue that evolution mattered. They'd always say, well, that's a just-so story. Prove it. Run the experiment. Um, so one way to disbelieve something or to reject it, basically, is not to say that it's flat out falls, but to set the bar so high, basically, that nobody can. Mm-hmm, exactly. So that happened for, for evolution, sociobiology, evolutionary psychology, uh, anything that suggested sex differences, um, anything that suggests race differences, um, anything that seems to blame the victim. So the Moynihan Report is a famous example uh, where Pat Moynihan, uh, looking at the causes of black poverty, talked about the importance of the black family. And he was derided as a racist. Uh, so. If you know what a group holds sacred, you see where they go crazy. And I just want to read you a quote from from this article, actually this quote by an essay uh, from an interview with the author. This is this just this blew me away, and this to me was the this, the opening to understanding what's going on. So they say uh, this is a quote from <clears throat> Gordon Gosha, G a u c h a t. Public opinion on science in the United uh, Public opinion on science in Europe and Japan skews differently than in the United States, Gosha said. There, skepticism about the scientific community usually comes from the left. The reason may be that the issues on the scientific forefront in Europe genetically modified food, nuclear power, tend to push liberals buttons, while those in the United States, climate change, stem cell research, tend to bother conservatives more. So it's an historical artifact that in the US, it is conservatives who deny science more. But that's not because there's something essential about liberalism or conservatism. So
5: one thing we've done is we've taken
3: what seems to be a political difference, and is a political difference in any particular time and place, and explains the entire pattern in terms of uh, universal human psychology, basically, what anyone will do when they sacralize something or not. But to me, this creates a dilemma, because surely we need to understand what we love and cherish most. Uh, much more than what we don't care about. And so is it the case, in your opinion, that...
0: uh... Okay, so when you make something sacred, you make it much more difficult to, you make it essentially impossible to honestly, objectively investigate it. The more things you hold sacred, the, the fewer things you can honestly investigate. So abortion has become a sacred issue in the United States on both the pro and anti side. So it's therefore much more Difficult to compromise about it. You can't compromise over something sacred. Russia invading Ukraine, trying to settle that conflict. It's it's being portrayed as a battle between good and evil. When you have a battle between good and evil, it's a lot harder to study it objectively and to try to reach some kind of uh, compromise and solution. So you made something sacred. More difficult to study, verging on the impossible to study it objectively to pursue truth. And also much more difficult to compromise over. So I have a lot of things in my life that I consider sacred, but I have kind of a split personality because I believe you have to, you know, live in the dance in your in-group, or right? I participate fully in your in-group, but also take time to step outside your in-group and look at how your words and your deeds and your actions and the rhetoric and the teachings and the beliefs and the scriptures of your particular in-group, how they look from the outside. So I both hold things sacred and step outside of everything that is sacred and try to see things from multiple points of view. So that's how I reconcile my devotion to the sacred on the one hand and my devotion to truth on the other hand. But while you're holding something sacred, you can't fully investigate the truth. When you're fully investigating the truth, you can't hold something sacred. So it's something of a schizophrenic dance. Now, I don't think the Decoding the Gurus guys have really come to terms with this. Uh-huh, yeah.
1: What, what did I say? You, you, uh, there's, there's a fellow called Iforgan who's posted a little load of questions, which are just the names of stuff. Oh, they're in the questions. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: posted that in the questions. Okay, those are my, those are my, that's my interview in the
1: chat. So. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like
2: those guys, right? They, they're they not on Twitter, right? They don't have mm-hmm. a podcast. They don't, um, whatever, spend their time networking with, with people like Elon Musk or whatever. They're doing real serious shit and you've never heard of them, you know, because why would you? There's no reason for you to have... Um, um so it's always going to be someone like that sad who writes a popular book that sounds really good that's easy to sort of that feels compelling you know you can see lots of applications in your own life you can see how oh, wow this is going to help you invest in the stock market you know it's, it's got all of the features to it i'm, I'm not saying it's i'm not even saying you know, that's intellect books are necessarily bad they're not i don't think Black Swan was not a bad book but it is like any of those popular books it's it's written for for popular appeal um whereas these guys are actually pushing forward the boundaries of statistics and if you actually wanted to know something true about how statistics or reasoning with probability and machine learning works you're better off asking those guys but
0: So the left consistently denies science when it comes to IQ, group differences in IQ, the heritability of IQ, predilections to crime and other traits, how almost all all human traits have significant heritability through genes. The left denies that evolution shapes how people think and how people behave. It uh, denies the stereotype accuracy. Most stereotypes have a great deal of accuracy. The left denies sex differences, racial differences, uh, frequently religious, cultural, and ethnic differences. So how and why does the, the left deny these things? Because it makes sacred certain marginalized groups, such as blacks, Jews, uh, gays, the transgender, right? That's what work means, is that you take this marginalized group and you render it sacred, and therefore immune from public criticism and also immune from objective analysis. So that's how we've gotten into the mess we're in today. This is Eric Kaufman talking to the scholar Noah Carl about wokeness. Eric Kaufman is the author of the great book, White Shift is the in, in a
5: sentence is the sacralization of historically marginalized uh, race gender and sexual identity groups so the making sacred of these groups as totems that cannot be offended uh, and any disparity uh, you know come between them and the oppressor group uh, has to be a result of structural power differentials which we can call structural racism patriarchy or heteronormativity so that's my my definition of wokeness um and it's all again has that sort of religious connotation around sacred totems mm. that you can't offend but i think it's the scaffolding for Uh, A more sort of secular ideology, I guess, which I would call cultural socialism, which is really about uh, equalizing self-esteem, power, resources uh, between identity groups um, and preventing harm, including emotional harm, such as being offended to those identity groups, including microscopic emotional harms known as microaggressions.
4: Right. So, so do you use the term wokeness yourself? Because there's a lot of different terms that seem to mean approximately the same thing. There's left-wing identity politics, regressive leftism, cultural Marxism. You just mentioned one yourself, cultural socialism. What's your preferred nomenclature here?
5: Well, I'm really hoping, and this will be a, hopefully in the title of my next book, is to get cultural socialism to be the sort of consensus go-to term. I think there are too many terms, and they some of them are used too loosely. So for example, even though I think there are orthodoxies around climate change and around um covid i don't think those i would put those outside the definition of what i call wokeness which i think centers i center it very much around the, the holy trinity race gender sexuality um and i think we have to also understand that this is a form of socialism it is a form of the same sort of oppressor oppressed um, utopian worldview that, that was there in socialism and it's just been transposed onto identity categories but
4: it's uh, it's interesting isn't it that some of the mo- some of the prominent critics of wokeness are old school leftists people who would classify themselves as socialists uh, along with, of course, many on the right to criticize wokeness. Does that stand against your uh, preference for cultural socialism as a term?
5: I don't think it does. I think that, it, you know, to the extent that these old time socialists are attached to historical materialism, you know, they are right that this is clearly a departure from historical materialism and class and uh, the mode of production and all of that kind of Marxist analysis. Um, The only thing I would say is a couple of things. One is that, uh, just first of all, on a descriptive level, uh, people's self-identification on a left-right scale is the strongest predictor of where they are on issues of cancel culture and critical race theory, for example. So just descriptively, there's a very high correlation between being on the left and being pro-woke. The other thing is, you know, if you understand um, socialism to mean egalitarianism, and this idea to weaken the strong and, and, and strengthen the weak, although I think the strength and the weak component is actually pretty flimsy. But, but essentially, if you understand it to be about that kind of leveling and this idea of seeing the world as, as a power struggle th- between the oppressor and the oppressed, and you have to overthrow the oppressor um, with this vanguard of oppressed, and then you will bring forth this new uh, thousand-year reign of Christ on Earth, not quite, but a kind of secular yeah. version of, of that um, millennium, then I think it is very much in that sort of uh, Marxist mode. Now, of course, it does draw on certain elements that were weaker in particularly pre-World War I.
0: That's, that's the main point. Wokeness means left, right? The further left you are, the more likely you are to be woke. And uh, one sentence definition of wokeness is making marginalized groups such as blacks, gays, and the transgender, making them sacred, therefore immune from objective analysis and the sort of ordinary criticism that we give to other groups. And uh, the woke still have considerable power on Twitter, they got uh, Steve Saylor banned recently. This is uh, Mickey Collins. Think
2: they're applying it fairly? Well, that was my but question. But yet, it is not applied fairly. So that will change under Musk, right? He's definitely not a woke millennial. He hates woke people. He hates them. Okay, he has made but that they, clear. He hates them. It's very. I, I'm not sure he's fired all the woke people who are under him. Well, give him time. Okay, give him time. But like, there's a there's a guy named Steve Saylor who nobody can link to because they think he's a racist. Okay. He survived, Jack, he survived the entire pre-Musk regime of Twitter. He did not survive two months under Musk. He's been suspended, okay? Uh, I doubt that Musk has better. control yet.
5: Uh, now, you are hearing That's complaints. You are hearing point. complaints
2: about uh, – we're hearing it on both sides now. I have no idea what's going on. But but look, give him time. If there's one thing he wants to get control of, it's this.
0: Right, Okay, so a great conversation here that I'm linking in the video description between scholar Noah Carl and the university professor, Eric Kaufman, author of Weight Shift. Here he's talking about wokeness.
5: ...Marxism was not particularly humanitarian. Um, and <laughs> there's no question that the, that humanitarian kind of, let's be kind and gentle uh, ethos is, that, that's an enormous part of this ideology. And that is foreign to pre-World War One or even pre-World War II Marxism. Um, and so again,
0: Yeah, so you've got this banal wokeness, which is all about harm reduction. Let's just be kind and gentle. And you hear a lot of this rhetoric from, again, Professor Matt Brown of Decoding the Gurus, from the the liberal left, that all they want when it comes to social content moderation is just let's just be kind. All right, can't we just be kind, guys? Let's just be kind. Let's just practice harm reduction and. This is Martin Bailey stuff, right? Who can object to kindness? Who can object to harm reduction? But it is the more socially acceptable face of wokeness, which wants to ever restrict the things that we can say and do in life. There is this totalitarian element in, in leftism. It needs to be continually educating people out of their traditional folk ways. It needs to be continually bullying people. It needs to be continually, you know, shaping people, uh, bringing them out of their height-bound traditions and their ignorant and, and bigoted ways. And so once they educate you on gay marriage, then they have to educate you and bully you on the transgendered. And then, you know, who knows what they have? But it is this ongoing, continual, cultural, educational crusade. That's what it means to be on the left, that they feel more enlightened than you are, and so they constantly have to be on alert for all instances of bigotry and ignorance and and start educating you. So those are the the essential psychological underpinnings of leftism and workers.
6: And they have
5: a point. Uh, but I still think that yes, there's a fusion of elements that are close to liberalism and social democracy. But um, I think the best way of thinking about it is as a cultural form of socialism, even if it lacks one or two of the elements of traditional Marxian socialism.
4: So just to clarify then you do prefer cultural socialism to wokeness or woke?
5: Well I think woke is a is a useful shorthand and it more describes the, the religious, the sort of ritual mythical sacred elements that, that surround the ideology. Um, so it's an appendage, it's a sort of sacred canopy around the fundamental um, philosophy that, that is cultural socialism. Um, so that's how I would distinguish these two, although they're intimately linked. And I have no real problem with people using wokeness as long as they're not using it just to sort of decry anything they don't believe in. So right. I think leading it over into the climate and vaccine issue I think is, the, is a misuse of stretching of the concept. Yeah, of I would it.
4: agree with you that some people who we might describe as woke object to the term woke. They see it as a sort of cudgel, a term of abuse without much Real content, what would you say to that?
5: Um, I think it very much has content if used in a consistent way. So I think if we're using it to say this is about um, sacred totems, uh, you know, historically marginalized, race, gender, and sexual minority groups which cannot be offended in any way because these are the sacred gods. And there's a hierarchy, by the way. But one of the reasons that uh, women and trans are in such a bitter battle, feminist and gender critical feminists and trans is it's not 100% clear who has more victim points. Probably the trans have a slight edge in the sort of victim hierarchy. So they're slightly at the totem pole. They would never be as high as, say, an indigenous uh, community or or African-Americans on that totem pole. So there is actually a a victim hierarchy as well, which I think
0: orders the entire religion.
4: Yeah, I would agree with that. I would also add that two reasons to prefer woke or or to, to defend it as a...
0: So listen to how... Matt Brown essentially describes his his preferred content moderation on on Twitter and other social media just to be positive be kind be nice right that's that's how they they break it down
1: discourse river
2: yeah 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 i think that's true probably more important for them personally than for society at large because um, as you say, there's heaps of ways to poison the discourse and stay well within the um, terms of service. Um, but you know I guess I guess my-
0: so no- notice how how hygienic that they, they want to create life, right? how safe that they want to create life. They're always on un- alert for poisoning the discourse, which means talking about things they don't want to talk about, things that they don't want said okay because it might you know cause harm to the these various sacred groups. So people who are traditional and conservative, we understand that human nature is not basically good that uh, life is inherently messy and frequently brutal and frequently a fight to the death conflict. And so we have much less of a desire to sanitize life. We have much less of a desire to make it hygienic. we don't make it a priority to, educate people. We're not, you know, primarily on alert for ignorance and bigotry. Our greatest concern because of the inherent messiness of life and the inherent non-good nature of human beings is to be alert for disorder and contagion, right? Those are the right-wing concerns. We are much more relaxed about the messiness of life. We're not nearly concerned about uh, misinformation and disinformation and the polluting of the discourse, right? What, what people like Matt Brown and Coding the Gurus guys consider polluting the discourse is discourse where their side is not in charge, right? Where their left-wing institutions are not running the show. That's polluted discourse.
2: My experience, when when Trump was around tweeting, like I didn't follow him. I think I probably had no, him muted, muted, if not blocked. But it was unavoidable. You just couldn't yeah. avoid Trump discourse and that's kind of the fault of all the people <laughs> retweeting him or, uh, or or you know taking
0: see these guys want a hygienic life they don't want to have to interact with any ideas any perceptions that are not congenial to them so they are objecting to the, the pollution of the discourse meaning if they have to interact with stuff that they don't like that is kind of anathema to their particular hero system but their particular hero system is just another hero system. I've got my hero system. You've got yours. They have theirs. But they talk all the time effectively in terms of objective good and evil and you know what is nice and what is kind and what is true and what is good. But there's a highly partisan worldview that underlays that outlook, and they, they don't seem to have much awareness of that.
2: Being a snapshot and dunking and so on. And it sort of just sucks the oxygen out of everything and, and just made it all stupider. Um.
0: See, they don't like, you know, dunking. They don't like the messiness of life. They don't like, you know, men challenging men. They don't like fighting. They don't like verbal fighting. They don't like physical fighting. They don't like the natural passions unleashed. They are a transmutation of protestant morality of christian reform outlook where christianity is virtually entirely internalized whereas a christianity of the heart where you've gotten rid of rituals and priests and hierarchies it's just you and god and you have your your whole soul change your your whole inner being change you've had a A baptism of the heart and now you no longer want to say nasty things you no longer want to do nasty things that you've been purified from nasty thoughts of lust i mean these guys think it's shocking and absurd and horrifying that elon musk would tweet a picture of a young damsel in a compromising position and portray you know donald trump like a a priest trying to fight his urge to to plunder the young woman that that a CEO of a major publication would, would share a meme that's so spicy, that's so earthy, right? That violates their antiseptic, hygienic perspective on life. These sorts of things can, can be done ethically, but behind closed doors, uh, under certain s- situations, right? You can have ethical BDSM and ethical pickup and ethical swinging from this liberal left perspective, But you can't be too earthy about these things. You can't be too lustful. You can't allow the natural passions much room. Conservatives tend to be much more at ease with the fact that people have natural passions. Conservatives and traditionalists tend to be much more at ease with the basic fact that most men will risk everything for the chance of sex with an attractive young woman. And precisely because they have this skeptical view of human nature, they think it's so important to build institutions, situations, social mores, customs, a, a moral climate and and you know, say biblically infused communities to try to corral this you know rather base and, and passionate nature of men. Now people on, on the left, highly educated people like the professors from decoding the gurus, they think that uh, everyone should internalize this this ethic that they have where we become reflexive, meaning we consider how everything we say and do is is appearing to to different, you know, persons and groups and communities and institutions that we may interact with. So this is much more courtier morality. So you go to court and you're constantly judging your behavior, how it affects all the different members of the court, as opposed to an aristocratic morality, where a man's home is his castle and he gets to say what he wants to say in his own home. So from a traditional and conservative perspective, you know people should be much more free to say what they they think even if some group or some person may be negatively affected that that's more of the the traditional you know lord of the manor morality as opposed to courtier morality. but decoding the gurus, they want everyone to have this this highly disciplined highly reflexive highly hygienic approach to life, uh, harm reduction. Why can't we all be nice and positive?
2: And more antagonistic and boring. Um, so that's that I think tends to be the effect of poor moderation uh, for the typical user-like.
0: And this is a very common I get. The, the voices of the decoding, the gurus, guys, make my skin crawl. Not sure why exactly, because you are hearing the voice of the disembodied outside the natural passions you know men who who have become so disciplined so reflexive uh, have this understanding of themselves as you know leading a particularly elevated type of discourse that they you know, this what it sounds like to transcend the natural passions and to be highly disciplined about everything they say to take into consideration you know how every single person might hear what they're talking about and how it then might have repercussions particularly on say marginalized communities right so this is the the voice of liberalism see liberalism and conservatism aren't primarily political ideologies they're ways of being so conservatives and trans are much more comfortable in their body and accepting that they have base nasty desires that uh, men want to bang that men want honor men frequently want fame men want excitement men want to beat other men and these these are like natural passions that uh, particularly men have and then women have their own nasty passions that uh, women are very tempted by you know any man who is more powerful that they think they have a chance at you know women are very tempted to make that that transition that uh, women are primarily devoted to you know what's good for me and for for my family for the people I care about that's how they consider you know every issue in life so both men and women have you know filled with with selfish uh, desires with with natural passions which aren't very hygienic right which aren't very nice the the act of of sex is not usually a very nice one there's usually an element of violence in in good sex in, in passionate sex and so conservatives and traditionalists are much more at ease with the violent messy nature of of life of, of human beings that we're not basically good that we're not basically hygienic and that we're driven by frequently very nasty passions which we would like religion society community to elevate us to you know a, a better way of being two very different perspectives on the self here meaningful time one that Whoops, wrong link. Back to Decoding the Gurus.
1: Me. Yeah, although I, I, again, I have sympathy for that position, but I kind of feel at the same time that while there are accounts that just amplify Trump, right, and that, that claim that, you know, the left-wing media ecosystem loves Trump because it gets them more, uh, like, subscriptions and, and stuff. I think that is is true to a certain extent, but it also...
0: Like Trump is the male ego. Trump is the male id. Like Trump bangs, all right. When when his wife, you know, has just given birth, you know, he's out banging Stormy Daniels. Uh, Trump is just filled with his natural passions and he's not particularly ashamed or embarrassed about them. All right. So for from a traditionalist perspective, let's say you're an evangelical Christian or an Orthodox Jew, you understand men like Donald Trump. And you don't worship them, you don't venerate them, you don't necessarily want your kids to be like them, but you understand men who are all about honor, uh, vainglory, self-advancement, self-assertion, banging, you know, having status, controlling the population, you know, controlling the conversation. We we understand these natural passions and we're much more at ease with them. While from this the, the left wing perspective all right these these natural passions are frightening they're a symptom of a world going wrong it's just polluting the discourse it's you know it's unhygienic it's it's dirty it's disgusting it's messy we need to clean this up we need we need people to be much more disciplined to take much more care at what they have to say and so you're listening to a couple of professors who when they speak are taking into account that their that their students might hear this that they're Peers in academia might hear this, that their parents might hear this, that their community might hear this, that their employers might hear this, that their uh, former professors might hear this. And so everything they're saying is reflexive, is carefully moderated and modulated and, and highly disciplined and you know, very careful not to give unnecessary offense.
1: Overlooks that like you can't ignore Trump in the modern political environment. He's like hugely important, right? He's, in essence, he's captured, uh, and then maybe most of the Republican mainstream platform, um, in, in America now. And in the same way, you know, Steve Bannon or a lot of the gurus that we cover, I wish Matt, I really wish they stayed fringe and that, you know, we could dissect them as unusual oddities in the cultural environment, but like, a figure like Andrew Tate shouldn't have millions of followers and shouldn't be somebody that like you know Elon Musk cares about enough to reinstate, it, but they are. And and that's the that's the bit that kinda gets to me because I think you can't I mean you and I can choose to mute and block Trump or any of the figures that are coming back. But their effect on the discourse will remain, well or not. We see it like it's it's doing its thing out there, and yeah, that's 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 the bit where I'm kind of like I have sympathy for the people saying, oh, don't don't just give Trump or Elon their daily attention hit, right? Just ignore them. They're just playing up to the camera. They're being the naughty boy in the classroom who wants attention, but at the same time. They they do stuff, <laughs> you know, they, they kind of like amplify conspiracy theories or they um, or they, in, in, you know, encourage people to try and take power back um, <laughs> during handovers yeah. of power, or whatever the case no. might be.
2: No, no, I hear you. In, in many ways, that's that's the.
0: And a uh, question from the chat. Why do liberals find it easy to accept unhygienic practices such as monkeypox sex? Because it is done by a sacred group, by gay men, and you're not allowed to criticize gay men. They are sacred. So if this was being done by heterosexual Christians, all right, they'd be appalled and they'd be leading the fight against it. So when when black rappers, you know, simulate simulate rape and do all sorts of edgy things, uh liberals understand it as the You know, the expressions of a marginalized, persecuted, oppressed community, and we have to understand and see it with nuance. But when Donald Trump says about women who are sexually interested in him, you grab them by the pussy, right? Well, that's Donald Trump being, you know, a rapist advocating sexual violence. So if a black rapper was to say that, they would understand it. They provide nuance. They provide context because the black rapper is a member of a sacred group. But uh, Donald Trump, unfortunately, is not a member of a sacred group, so he does not get that uh, free pass. Now, also a comment in the chat. Uh, why does Luke not set up Judah for Sabbath meals? So different friends are good at different things. I am not someone to set you up with Sabbath meals. It's not you, Judah. It's not something I really do for anyone. I'm not someone who sets people up for dates. I'm not generally you know, bringing people together. I'm not organizing parties. I'm not, you know, hosting people at my home. Different, you know, different people feel comfortable doing different things. So some friends are great in one area, but they suck in other areas. So I certainly suck in many different areas of hospitality. Now, on the other hand, I can give an Alexander Technique lesson, you know, like uh, nobody else. So... We have to accept people for the genre that they are in. And my genre is not the hospitality genre, right? You're not going to see me on the White Lotus season three, right? Playing a hotel manager, you know, helping you check in and asking you about your trip, right? That's not really, that's not really me. That's just, that's not really authentic to to who I am. Also, I have no idea how you're going to behave at these Sabbath meals, so
2: rationale for moderation it's not it's not that you know it's it's vitally important to stop a particular person from saying something it's rather that them saying what they do almost requires people to respond and just derails the the discourse and can make a doesn't matter if it's a reddit thread or or even the mainstream news it just makes everything worse so if you care about having a any kind of ecosystem where, where um, you know, positive and beneficial discourse is going on, the sort of discourse that people want to be a part of. Um,
0: uh... Okay, so what does he mean by positive and beneficial discourse, the type of discourse that people want to be a part of? He means woke discourse. That's essentially what he means. This is the banal version of work, that we just want hard reduction we just want kindness and goodness and positivity, right? That's what he's articulating. The, he's using the bottom maile strategy of presenting the most socially acceptable form of woke ideology as just banal goodness. This is just banal woke ideology. But what he really means is shutting down discussion of, say, IQ differences, racial differences, uh, male-female differences, Uh, genetic, the the genetic uh, predisposition to almost every human behavior, like anything that's inconvenient, particularly for the sacred groups that compose the work ideology, meaning blacks, Jews, gays, the transgender, the the LGBTQ plus uh, community, right? All these different groups, Mexican Americans, Puerto Ricans, right? These are all sacred groups who cannot be looked at objectively and uh, cannot be held to the same standards that you hold everyone else. But they boil it down to just, did you get that? It's just banal wokeism. Like, why can't we just have positive, pleasant conversations that most people want to be a part of? Most people who have his left-wing ideology want to be a part of these sanitized, hygienic discussions, right? Not trads, not conservatives, not even centrists, all right? He's talking about his own hygienic, sanitised preferences for nice, positive discussions with the essentially fellow worksters.
2: Then some kind of moderation is required. I think. Um, I think. I guess the thing that I hope is that these these sorts of um, news dramas that are coming along um, encourages all of us to sort of develop our ideas a little bit around the notion of of moderate
0: they don't like these news dramas they don't want to even have a vigorous discussion over what donald trump or elon musk are saying because it's not sanitized and it's not hygienic and it reeks too much of the natural base passions right they, they don't want to face up to human nature which is not basically good which is not naturally predisposed towards the sanitary and the hygienic but is instead messy, competitive, selfish, self-seeking, inconsiderate, dishonest, fearful, lustful, right? That is the basic nature of human beings, but they don't want to face up to that because they think everyone should be as elevated, as rational, as uh, reflexive, as, as disciplined, as hygienic as they are in their discourse,
2: and, and platforming and all of that stuff. Like, like going back in the day, um, a friend of mine on Twitter, Carl History Boomer, um, had a little survey which he was talking about Father Coghlan in the 1930s, 19, uh, 1930s radio personality. His spe- speeches were um, blatantly anti-Semitic and he was sympathetic to Hitler and Mussolini and he was forced off radio by 1940. So you've got these modern-day Father who are um, who are around um um equally unpleasant, equally nasty. Um there are places for them to go, like 4chan. But um, you know, I think it's quite right that they um that a that a platform
0: so these people with traditionalist views, they're just unpleasant and nasty. I, I'm just curious, can someone be say critical of Jews and not be unpleasant and not be nasty? Can someone be critical of all the sacred groups such as homosexuals, the transgender uh, blacks, uh, Puerto Ricans, Mexicans, can can someone be, be critical of any of these sacred groups and not be a horrible, nasty, brutish, you know, medieval type of person? No, I, I don't think so. Not in this world view.
2: Like Twitter that wants to be a place that people want to be in.
0: Twitter? like wants to be a place that people want to be in. All sorts of people want to be in a Twitter that is more wide open. Twitter has more users now than ever, has more discussions now than ever. But uh, those on the left who want a more sanitized type of life, who who want to be in denial of basic human passions and, and human nature, they may not want to participate as much in Twitter and it upsets them that a major avenue for elite discourse has been hijacked by the plebs, by the working class and their heroic representative, Elon Musk. So he keeps talking about, oh, just create a nice positive space that people want to be in. Well, which people, what do you mean by nice? What do you mean by positive, right? From say a traditional Christian perspective, any speech that denies Jesus is the Christ and and Lord and the son of God, right? That's untrue and not nice. So your definition of nice and your definition of truth and your definition of positivity is going to depend upon where you're coming from. So these two professors on Decoding the Gurus, they're coming from a secular left-wing perspective. And so they want a discourse that is sanitized, secular, left-wing. And the the more passionate type of discourse is just too messy for them.
2: Um, Gets rid of them. So you got these you've got these two opposing poles of the debate where on one hand you have this kind of ban everything that I don't like, ban everything that mm. we can find some argument that, that it's harmful or whatever. And then at the other end, it says free speech forever. Um, you, you, you can never stop, you, you, you know, um, you, should, you should always platform every everything equally. Um, the freer the speech is, the better it is. And, uh, you know, neither of those things are right. The solution we've kind of got at the moment is that we have these big tech platforms that are verging on monopolistic but are still in private hands. So it is ultimately legally a matter for the, for the, for the, for the private owners of those companies. Um, But, you know, as as private companies, you can, you make the argument that they should and can uh, implement any kind of terms of service, any kind of moderation program that they prefer. Um, If people don't like it, they can go to another platform. I'm actually kind of, I think even though the, 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 the comeback to that is, oh, they've got a monopoly, so there's nowhere else to go, so it's essentially a public utility. But on the other hand, the motivation for a normal business owner, platform runner, is that you want to maximise engagement. You want to maximise users. And so you don't really have an agenda to sort of change social norms normally, if it was being... Normally. As a normal <laughs> business, yes. So, you know, throw back to that comment about people
0: so if you're operating in the media or social media, you don't have an you don't have a desire to change social norms. Well, the media is pretty left wing in its agenda. So yeah, I think the media and Silicon Valley and big tech do very much have a desire to change social norms. Also, their desire is not to maximize users. Elon Musk is doing that. Their their desire, one would think, would be to to make a profit. But If you have a desire to make a profit, that doesn't mean you don't have other desires as well, such as to change the discourse, shape the discourse to promote what you think of as goodness and truth and positivity in the world, which will usually be part of the banal section of wokeness, right? The banal aspect of wokeness is we just want harm reduction. We just want niceness and goodness and kindness to, to reign. So here's more from Noah Carl and Eric Kaufman on wokeness.
4: People to whom it refers at one point referred to themselves as woke. Up until you know around 2018, people would describe themselves as woke, unironically. Uh, so you can't claim something's an insult if people are using it to describe themselves, or at least it's harder to do so. And secondly, it's a, it's nice and short, and can be used in adjectival and noun forms.
5: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it is. It, you know, there, there are obviously two different things. One is how useful is it analytically as a type concept uh you know in terms of constructing type concepts in social theory and there's a whole nomenclature around that i think it is useful uh to describe as I, as I mentioned the kind of religious aspect of cultural socialism um but in addition you know is it is it useful as a shorthand politically yeah i mean it's a bit like uh, i mean you have these some shorthands which break down a little bit on, on closer inspection but i do think this is actually reasonably robust can be defined could be you could create a scale where you measure it now what i would say is there are kind of two aspects to it, uh, it you, you have because of this i mean it's united around this sacralization of these groups. Um, but the ideology clearly, you know, there's two fronts. One is the progressive illiberalism, the way it impinges on the enlightenment ideas of free speech, due process, equal treatment, objective truth. That's one prong. And the other prong is, is where it impinges on majority group identities or male identities or national identities, which is the so sort called of critical race theory uh, prong. And they are somewhat distinct in their effects, but I think they stem from the same underlying drive in the ideology, which is the, what Jonathan Haidt would call the equality and care harm Foundation.
4: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I guess one. One argument for for cultural socialism is that you might be hard pressed to get woke into an academic paper.
5: <laughs> yes, yeah, you wouldn't. Reviewers thinking, might object. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, although I think even cultural socialism, I, there's people on Twitter trying to say, "Oh, well, that's uh, a euphemism for, for cultural Marxism, which is some uh, Nazi trope or uh, right. sort of." They're attempting to cancel. It's just the irony of attempting to cancel the term to describe um, a cancel culture, you know. So it's it's. <laughs> um, but yeah, we we have to be able to have a term, but but of course, as you say, I mean, it's very hard for academia to study this stuff. They have to tiptoe around. This. Yeah, that's I that's got, a
4: point I've got, tried to make in in a couple of my Substack articles. But this is yeah. this is arguably the most profound social change that's happened in this time scale, you know. In recent-
0: okay, we've had uh, some some great moments this week, so let's just uh, review a couple of of highlights from from the week that was. Hard against the left is crazy, and just seeking drama, and oh, why won't they leave our left wing institutions alone?
7: Why won't they leave our left-wing dominated institutions alone? Why won't they leave academia alone? Why won't the right leave the mainstream media alone? Why won't the right leave Hollywood alone? Why won't the right-wing leave non-governmental organisations alone? Why are they so crazy and mean? Why are they so yearning for drama? Oh. I just wish they'd left, they left left wing domination of our major institutions. I just wish they'd left all that alone. Why won't they just leave the left in charge running all our major institutions? Why won't they just leave the left alone? Why won't they leave our gay military alone? Why won't they leave our medical institutions alone? Why won't they leave our governing elites alone? Why do they have to be so mean to Dr. Fauci? Why do they have to criticize doctors who only want to render gender-affirming care? Why do they want to forbid gender-affirming care? Why do they want to make gender-affirming care illegal? Why won't they leave our elites alone? Why do they have to be so big and mean and cruel and, all into the drama and the crazy. Why would they leave the left alone? Wow, powerful,
0: powerful stuff.
5: Black lives matter to you? Do black lives
3: matter to you? Do black lives matter, Karen? Fucking white piece of shit, you
2: little
7: fucking tasty-ass bitch! Oh yeah, you want to fucking dog Karen?
6: No! No! Kill black lives! Until black
0: lives matter, no life matters. Black,
1: white, yellow.
0: That is not our uh, fight. Until black lives mean something to this country. No, no. Okay, we've had some uh, good times on this show. Let's get back to the highbrow education here from Eric Kaufman speaking with Noah Carl about wokeness.
4: It's history, if not ever. I mean, it's amazing how dramatically things shifted in only five or 10 years. Uh, and the idea of not even having a term for this is remarkable.
5: Yeah, and you can go to an entire major social sciences conference and not see anything on this issue. Now, there was a panel at the APSA, which I was, which is the virtual APSA, which I was on. There was a paper by Kipa Norris. Yes, um, I know that one. You yeah. saw her paper. Yeah. And, and there's actually, I, I was down in, uh, uh, it was in California. I met Jack Citron in Berkeley and, and uh, Morris Levy at the University of Southern California. They're doing work on progressive liberalism, you know, but how they're, ha- they can't use a term like woke. I don't think they use that term. I mean, it's all about,
0: Okay, we've had uh, some good commentary in the chat from My Trail of Disgrace. He says, I normally like the Irish accent, but uh, with Chris Cavanaugh from Decoding the Gurus, he has a cock tone and timbre that seems to be becoming more prevalent there. So your ideology, the, the way you think, all right, is going to affect your voice. How you are in your body, your, your relationship to yourself is going to... Affect your political choices and and your voice. So, other comments in the chat. How much do I know about Rudolf Steiner? I think a little bit, but very little. Ultimate test will be whether files concerning activist groups like the Anti-Defamation League, Southern Poverty Law Center, will be released by Elon Musk. Will we get those files? Also, antifa files and connections between these groups. Elon Musk is already hard banning or re-entrenching old bans against more nationalist people, groups, and external links than previously. Musk will submit to the ADL and the Southern Poverty Law Center, says the chat. Okay, let's get back to this academic discussion here between noah Carl eric kaufman on the origins of work you know
5: rising intolerance or absolutism or, or you know, there are ways you can kind of tiptoe towards it but of course they're the only ones that are doing anything you know in this entire yeah. that tells you something about who's who's in academia that's that so little interest
4: okay enough about nomenclature then so what's your theory as to where wokeness came from
5: um so i think you can it's very interesting i think there is this broader ideology I call left modernism, which is a fusion, if you like, of um cultural modernism, which is the idea of being anti-traditional, anti-bourgeois. So modern art is an example, modern architecture. getting away from form and getting away from reflection and it's about the new and the different. So that's the cultural thrust um, which is associated with bohemianism and also alternative lifestyles. That is a a much older, it goes right back to the Fourierism of the 19th century and the anarchism. But then this cultural socialism stuff I think is post 1960s actually. I mean you had some mild concern, for. if we talk about identity groups, I mean yes you had your classical liberal attempt at equal rights for women and and African Americans and so on, but it's not until we get to the mid 1960s that we start to see something like Susan Sontag writing in Partisan Review which is an established left liberal uh, magazine of the new york intellectuals 1966 saying you know the white race is a cancer um, on the planet and and essentially the u.s is a deeply racist uh, you know inevitably i can't remember the exact quote but, but that just comes out of nowhere and what's occurring is that you have white leftists who are borrowing the outlook of black power radicals who have this tradition of talking about white devils and so on that goes back to the early 50s and then you also have the anti-colonial struggles and people like Fanon, which i think is a very important miles 1961 book wretched of the earth um, this anti-colonial struggle and taking on board, white leftists taking on board the anti-colonial and black power perspectives um, to really sort of ramp up their rhetoric around uh, white guilt and the and, and, and anti-white. And I think that's kind of a, a very important step. Now it's building loosely on a kind of older anti-wasp tradition that goes back to the young intellectuals of World War One. But that anti-wasp tradition was more or less saying, Anglo-Protestants are parochial and boring and they have no culture and they're uninteresting and they don't drink and they don't dance. Okay, that's a critique of your own group from a kind of cultural aesthetic point of view. It wasn't so much, you know, white Protestants are oppressors um, and they're a cancer on the planet. You know, that that is taking it really into new territory. Um, And once that occurs, you then get the radical feminist movement and you then get the the gay movement after the 1969 stonewall riots and you get the new identity politics piggybacking on this initial black power template so i'm dating that from sort of you know mid-1960s late 1960s the emergence and i and my view is actually once this paradigm emerges everything we've seen is just the outworking of that logic it's nothing really new um now we are there are some new bits around the therapeutic psychotherapeutic culture uh which which infuses and blends in with this so we get this talk you know this concept creep of bullying and trauma and 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 all of the uh, which is the ancestor of microaggressions
0: Right. So just uh, why can't we just be nice and be positive? All right. uh, Big news from Buffalo. Pretty shocking. Uh, Scrutiny mounts over Buffalo's response to deadly blizzard. This is The Washington Post.
6: This news story was written by Justin Sundell, Karen Brolyard, and Holly Bailey. Scrutiny mounts over Buffalo's response to deadly blizzard. Buffalo, the city of Buffalo's response to the massive blizzard that left at least 37 people across the region dead, came under growing attack Wednesday, as emergency responders continued to search for survivors and plows moved many mountains of snow that kept the city under a driving ban for a sixth consecutive day. Speaking at a daily briefing, Mark Poloncars, the executive of Erie County, which includes Buffalo, slammed city leaders for failing to clear streets quickly and accused Mayor Byron W. Brown's administration of being disengaged in the coordinated local and state response. Polimkars said the county took over cleanup in one third of Buffalo and had discussed with state officials the possibility of assuming responsibility for all plowing inside city limits during future large storms. We have an elected officials call every morning, and the city of Buffalo was not on it, Polimkars said. He added, the mayor is not going to be happy to hear about it, but storm, after storm, after storm, after storm, the city, unfortunately, is the last one to be opened, and that shouldn't be the case. It's embarrassing, to tell you the truth. Brown, speaking at a separate briefing minutes later, deflected the accusations, emphasizing that Buffalo was the hardest-hit area of a historic storm. He said Poland cars had not expressed concerns to him and insisted there was no feud between the two. People have been working around the clock since the beginning.
0: So I'm not sure why Buffalo is so incompetent, but I'm wondering if it has anything to do with why Atlanta is so incompetent. So Atlanta hosted what was it, the 1996 Olympic Games, and it was the, the worst-run Olympic Games in, in what, the last 80 years. Uh, when, when there's an inch or two of snow in Atlanta, just, you know, the highways shut down, uh, travel largely shuts down in Atlanta just because uh, an inch or two of snow. Not exactly sure why Atlanta and Buffalo are so incompetent. I'm just scratching my head. I, I think there are some similarities in, in these cities, but I can't quite put my finger on why these cities can't provide you know basic services to their citizens. Like why why are Buffalo and Atlanta so incompetent? I, I just feel like it's on my fingertips. Okay, where did wokeness come that's from? That's coming in, Eric, in Hoffman. the sort of
5: the sort of new age, Esalen Institute, human potential, all that stuff is feeding into it. The humanist psychotherapeutic movement uh, fuses in with the new left, starting with you know the first racial sensitivity training is in the late '60s, early '70s, moving through to the '80s and building up steam. So yeah, I think that's where I trace this this from.
0: Right. And, and- okay, and so you can hear this this banal version of wokeness here in discussion of the decoding the gurus guys professors chris Cavanaugh and matt brown a couple of psychologists and their desire for you know harm reduction in social content moderation
2: like musk buying these platforms because they can be another mechanism to wield political uh, influence but you know ultimately if we want that kind of thing to change then you have to do what the government mm-hmm. traditionally does in the face of a monopoly utility which is that you nationalize the thing and, you know, the, nobody you know, no, nobody is going to, that's not going to happen. Right. So, you know, it's an interesting, you know, it's, it's a problem. It's an interesting, I don't want to say problem. It's a, it's a challenge to, to, to think about this clearly. Um, the sort of stuff that I see on Twitter or the takes is kind of just free speech forever or, you know, pearl clutching and hand wringing about how harmful saying such and such is. Um
1: Yeah.
0: But- yeah. Free speech forever. I mean, how how primitive is that? You know, we can't have that.
1: Applicable, like more broadly, in saying that, well, you know, so if Twitter became profitable through like, and and what Elon describes, just sounds a little bit terrible, right? Like it sounds like he's basically going to make a two tier Twitter system: the like free accounts and the the paid ones, and the experience for the non paid accounts is designed to get actively worse, right <laughs> like your your thing will be deboosted and, and he's essentially saying we're gonna allow all the absolute dregs of worst things to exist on the unpaid tier, and like anybody that wants to be seen by bigger accounts or to you know not have to deal with all the terrible people they just pay eight dollars a month and you know maybe that will maybe that will work because people are so addicted to Twitter that it, it would. But like at the minute, his blue tick is an anti-status symbol. No, he's kind of succeeded in making it a <laughs> amongst, amongst liberal types. Uh,
0: so a blue tick now on Twitter is an anti-status symbol. This is following up on that Financial Times columnist who urged people to go off Twitter because it's low status. Because the Democratic Party has increasingly become the party of our dominant institutions. So the Democratic Party has become the right in that it is increasingly defending the status quo and defending our dominant institutions. The Republican Party has become the party of the worker and the dissidents who want to overthrow our established institutions. So the rights become the left and the left become the right. So these these two professors, they're on the left they're part of the clique that dominates our institutions and uh, they, they see the barbarians at the gates and they're not very happy that the barbarians are at the gates and that they have someone like Elon Musk who's fighting for them.
1: Uh, something that people are a little bit ashamed to, to have now. So this is that's the problem I why I'm tying it to partisanship, right? Like It almost feels like if he instigates it, and it gives the option to not turn on the blue tick. That lots of people will do that. They will <laughs> pay the eight dollars, but they don't want the the outward symbol of uh, like endorsing it. So yeah, that's it. Man. It's it's not the end of the world, but it is it is a bit like the social media Ghostbusters thing the analogy that we talked about. You know, just releasing the vaults and all the slimers and. Um, like bleh, rumors, bleh. <laughs> like just fl- flying all. And Jordan Peterson, you know, tweeted like sixty tweets every four minutes. What's this article? <laughs> what the hell is Justin Trudeau up to? He said what? Like, I, I don't think that's good for anyone. Le- least of all Jordan. Like, I, I don't think it's it's good for him either. But um, I also don't think it's the, the end of the world or the the fall. Of democracy, it's just, I just think it's a millionaire playing with his new Lamborghini uh, in public, and it's it's not really uh, what's that word? Like it's it's no good for anyone. Doesn't look good for him. It's not good for us, uh, or the people that are like salivating over Daddy Musk and everything. You know, Alexandros must be in a constant state of arousal. At the minute, like, just waiting. <laughs> He's got the... it's ultimate daddy is is here. Like, uh, Elon, and then he brought back Jordan, and and Brett is still, you know, there trying to get Dr. Roller Gator released. So, um, wow. yeah. Well, personally, I hope it all goes... I don't think it will, but I hope
2: it all goes down in flames, because then I'll...
0: Yeah, he wants it all to go down in flames. Can't have so much free speech going around. So, question, how... Am I liking a CPAP in this environment? I did not bring my CPAP with me to Tatham Sands. So it's, it's scary. Like last night at about eleven PM I, I woke up gasping for breath. And when I just lay down with my head on a pillow, I couldn't get any breath. So I had to essentially lie down like like this on, you know, three pillows. Then my nasal passengers passengers started opening up, but uh, didn't bring my CPAP with me from Sydney to Tatham. It's negatively affected my, my quality of sleep. So CPAP can be annoying, and sometimes I take it off because I get so annoyed with it. But if I leave it on, overwhelmingly, I get better quality sleep. But I'm not being crippled by its absence. But there are those scary moments where I just like wake up gasping for breath and have to adjust my, my pillows and my seating and sleeping arrangement so that I can get some, get some breath again. It's not uh it's not a lot of fun. So I miss my CPAP. Also because I did not lose the weight that I expected to lose. <laughs> because I've been eating so much ice cream. Right? That also is uh negatively affecting my, my sleep apnea. Oi. To be human.
2: Stop frittering away too much time on it.
1: Um you, that's what that's what some people some people hope but so look this is our 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 musk takes twitter message in a bottle right now notice matt and i have not said (laughs) that the the sky is falling that or that these accounts being reactivated it fundamentally changes everything like that's it the the course no the disinformation peddlers were there they were already like James Lindsay wasn't on Twitter anymore, so he wasn't in me and Matt's headspace, but he's become like an integrated part now of the right wing ecosystems. Like he's he's still going around turning point USA conventions and giving speeches about groomers or going on Bannon's war room or whatever, right? We are just not paying attention to him. But you will you will see their influence in, you know, the right wing politics because It's all there, and uh, yeah, so I just, it's not the end of the world. It's not a good thing, and Matt is hoping Twitter burns down. I'm just, I just like it to continue with, like, I'd like Musk to have, and I don't want this, but, like, Musk just play with his fucking squeezy toy in public until he gets bored with it, and then set up, that moderation council or whatever that he hinted at, which he obviously is completely not used, And that's also a good indication he's just a liar. <laughs> he just he just doesn't have a because he said before anybody's let back, we're gonna create a like balanced nonpartisan moderation council and they'll, you know, be involved in all decisions. And then a week later he's just like fuck Trump back and you know so but but he might in the end actually create something like that. That you know, he might get bored and then create it. And it might, this is my optimistic take, that you might see more transparency and stuff. I don't think you will, but that that to me would be a good outcome. If he gets mm-hmm. bored and fucks off to do whatever his next, like, outrage mm-hmm. thing is. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Twitter yeah. Imp- improves slightly. But I don't think that's where it's going to head. I think we're just, like, just stuck on it being his chew toy for the next... Um, Couple of years uh, at least, and yeah. And if it, becomes a, if it becomes a cesspit of like 4chan standards, people will leave like it, they, they will eventually. If it becomes you know, Kanye West is just spouting anti Semitism all over the place, and then like other kinds get the message that it's okay to do that, Um, it'll get attention. And I also think that it's quite likely if there is a, a political events or shootings violent events which get associated with figures and uh, you know being spread on twitter that'll end up with like in front of congress or governments calling in musk and other people to testify so they it, like they don't like that but this is what happens to the social media platforms like you know mark zuckerberg doesn't want to go to congress all the time right but he, he's been there quite often and trying to justify things so elon musk will be doing that um at some point in the future as well
2: yeah yeah i guess i guess i just i'm probably a little bit stronger than you on the the view that it really doesn't matter all that much like if if you search for the word jew oh yeah twitter yeah (laughs) you will find no end of anti-semitic accounts probably many of them will be getting bopped like bopped on the head and knocked out every now and again but you know there's no end of of disgusting stuff on Twitter, should you look for it, right? But you yeah, know, it does. Just on purely technical grounds, it, it does give you the, um, the 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 power to block and mute away both. And uh, I, I don't bother blocking much because I don't need to, but I would if if it, an account was particularly annoying. Um, and really, the only thing, so I, you know, I just don't follow bad. Just don't follow bad accounts. So, but then the only thing that is going to be affecting you i suppose is the people that are in your circle the people that you do follow screenshotting and saying look how terrible such and such is and talking about that instead of something more interesting like the french revolution really into the french revolution moment. I we should all be talking about the french revolution
1: but um i i'm see <laughs> the sentiment yes the specific example yeah but but you know to punctuate though or what's that thing like uh to just illustrate the point of everything we've been saying i i just noticed that the this is what elon musk has just tweeted out <laughs> so for for people who can't see the video it is a image and it has a like a prostitute or woman in undress and a, a, like a kind of monk figure trying to resist temptation. And it's labelled like Donald Trump as the monkey person. And, and the Twitter bird is oh, placed over the genitals of the woman in a provocative position. Now, this was tweeted by Elon Musk. Right? But this is supposed to be like an, an adult person. But it's, it's just a good illustration that he's, he's, he's just a shitposting troll. No right, that's that's what he is, and um, yeah, you're muted. <laughs>
2: yes, yes, of course, and by, and it is funny, by the way, that he he really does like want don like Donald Trump. So he's
0: he's absolutely scandalized. He's shocked. It's just so inappropriate for a CEO to to tweet something saucy, to tweet something edgy. All right. So this this comes from that liberal left desire to sanitise life, and you know we should all be you know highly considerate of you know every possible reaction to anything we say and do, so that we never, in, in particular, harm or bother or upset or cause you know any negative feelings for the sacred, marginalised communities: Jews, Blacks, gays, Puerto Ricans, the the transgendered, etc. So. Here is Eric Hoffman, Noah Carl on the origins of this wokeness. And so you just heard the banal presentation of woke, which is uh, we just want harm reduction. We just want positivity and kindness and niceness. That's all we mean, right? That's the banal presentation of woke.
5: Of course, part of the context of this is the failure, perceived failure of the old white working class to rise up in Western countries. and People like Marcuse and C. Wright Mills and, and others who are turning away from their working class towards, Hey, we need a new agent of radical social change. And that's going to be the third world, one of the proletariat uh, rising up against the colonizer. Or it is the, uh, you know, the inner city black American population plus the students. And, and it was this shift, I think, that's really behind this.
4: So I think what you've done is point out that a lot of the um, intellectual basis for wokeism goes back uh, further than one might suppose all the way back to the 60s even but my own experience was that i went to university and, and everything was more or less as i expected it to be and then i guess it was when i spe- around the time i began my uh, doctoral studies that i started to notice you know the, the emergence of cancel culture and and very extreme opinions about race and sex and trans and so on i the, the emergence of what i would really identify as wokeness and and indeed um you know david rosado and, and zach goldberg have shown with their graphs of newspaper mentions of woke terms and terms like racism and sexism that there was really a kind of woke hockey stick uh, around 2010, 2011, 2012, where the phenomenon really took off. So if the intellectual basis goes back to the 60s, why did everything take off in around 2010, 2011?
5: Well, if you look at Rosado's...
0: Okay, just a quick, quick little note here on Twitter, that wicked, wicked place filled with unhygienic tweets. Richard Hanina tweets, dog breeds, which in some cases have only been separated from each other by centuries or even decades, as opposed to human subspecies which have been separated from each other for tens of thousands of years Uh, dog breeds apparently differ in intelligence and personality so apparently different types of dogs have different gifts different uh, pose different degrees of threat that most deaths caused by dogs just come from two particular breeds of dogs so some dogs much smarter than other dogs I wonder if they're could possibly any any connection between, say, dog breeds and different types of Homo sapiens who evolved separately over hundreds of thousands of years. Is it possible that they may have evolved now, different traits, different levels of intelligence? different levels of predispositions towards violence
5: uh, article where he compares academic abstracts to news articles i think he has 75 million academic abstracts so this is from academic papers summarizing what's in the paper and then he has 25 million news articles from mainstream media uh, what you see is actually if you take racism and sexism just as two terms woke terms um those were already running at a very fair clip starting in the 70s and 80s uh and what occurs is actually the news the media catches up converges in the 2010s so they were lagging and then suddenly they converge on those terms. So academia was already there in the 70s and 80s. Um, and that's, again, getting to my point, which is that this was already current in academia, and the media just suddenly caught up. And there's a couple of reasons. One is social media connects academics and journalists in a way that hadn't been true. And also the new kind of journalism that is clickbait-based rather than classified ad-based. It's, it's graduates from, from elite universities more than some sort of gumshoe hack who worked his way up. You know, for all of those reasons, you get this infusion, this cross-fertilization, uh, and the media just catches up really in the 2010s. But that's not the origin. The origin is in, in academia it goes back a lot further, and the interest goes back a lot further. Now, of course, it's all about scaling up. I say this is a quantitative, not a qualitative shift. Now, I can remember, because I am older than you, uh, already in the late 80s, early 90s, when I went to, went to university, I can remember political correctness. You could not easily express a skeptical view on immigration. That would be extremely difficult uh, at that time. Now, um, you could say, well, you weren't being put out of a job. Yeah, there wasn't a social media that they could sort of smear you on social media, but... These events and incidents were happening. and I'll just give you a few milestones. So 1965, the Moynihan Report of the Black Family uh, is shelved by the Johnson administration because it seemed to be, again, too hot to handle because it's, it's saying, hey, we've got to actually start thinking about this problem of the breakdown of the black family even though actually the other wedlock birth rate back then was ridiculously low amongst African Americans. I think it was only around 20 or 25 percent, which would be seen as, as magnificent today. Um, but 1965, and then you have other marks on the road. Arthur Jensen, uh, you know, 1969, there was an open letter by many of his colleagues to get his article retracted from, I think, the Harvard publication. And then, you know, Wilson 1975. And then you had, you know, being attacked by his colleagues uh, for political reasons, talking about, you know, the, the evolutionary basis of human uh, behavior and psychology. And then you have um, James Coleman, the American sociologist, who, who, because he's saying that busing is actually producing white flight, there are people picketing his uh, American Sociological Association speech with kind of Nazi signs. So, uh, and, and, and there are always a, a number of these events going on just that the frequency wasn't as high as it later becomes. So I don't think it all started with Nicholas Christakis in 2015. That is the beginning of, a, of an increase in amplitude. But um, you can find uh, episodes. One happened in 1995. I always recounted the University of British Columbia. The political science department was utterly paralyzed by these nonspecific uh, allegations of pervasive uh, systemic racism and, and sexism. And, of course, there were no actual individuals or events. And there was this $200,000 consultant that came in and, and, and took all these statements and in the end it just devolved into this big joke but just to say that all the doors were open and i think they've been open since the mid-60s it's just doors it's just a matter of the supply side how many activists are able to get organized uh, and push on these open doors because i don't think there was really any resistance even even in my early days in, uh, in the late 80s early 90s i didn't see any uh, real resistance to
4: this yeah i mean you're certainly right that people ac- prominent academics have been getting cancelled for decades uh, michael woodley and i have a paper on this r- relating to intelligence research where we kind of chronicle all the major controversies in the field uh, going back to the 60s and not yeah. In addition to Arthur Jensen, there was William Shockley and Philip Rushton, Charles Murray, of course, and, and many others. Um, but it yeah, does. Yeah, I was
5: going to say, I remember because Rushton was at Western, where I went to University of Western Ontario, and I remember the debate he had with um, David Suzuki. Mm. And, and now, of course, it's interesting that that went ahead, right? I mean, there was a lot of people who were saying it shouldn't have gone ahead. Now, you could say, well, that meant cancel culture was weaker. I'm not sure. I don't necessarily think that that's the case. I think it's just that the number of people that were mobilized to shut it down were, were, was too small. Um, but I, I don't think the sentiment, the views that he was an unacceptable person it shouldn't be speaking, I don't think that that view was really any different. It's just that they didn't have the power to shut it down or the organization to shut it down.
4: So one impression I got from from looking into all, to the history of controversies and in intelligence research is that students have always been very radical and they haven't necessarily gotten that much more radical in respect of their attitudes on campus. But that Academics have become substantially more willing to join with the students in professing very radical viewpoints and acting upon them. Was that does that fit with your experience? Or?
5: I think, again, this is a quantitative shift. So there's no question even back in the late 60s with, you know, Black Panthers occupying buildings armed with rifles and, and, and striking for a year until you know, all of these crazy things that were happening in the late 60s. There were academics who supported that. Um, but I think the balance, most academics were, were opposed. And, and so I, Whereas I think today you might get a different tilt. So I think it's all about the relative numbers. We know that academia in the mid-60s was about one and a half on the left and one on the right, and it's now six to one in the U.S. and about five to one in Britain. And in the social sciences, it's gone from sort of three to one, to 12, 13, 14 to one. So the tilt is just much more extreme, which is why I think there's just more support and less resistance. Yeah, you do have episodes in the 60s where the faculty would vote against the student position as to, and to restore order. And I'm just sceptical whether that would occur nowadays.
4: Me too. The... Um... The the disciplines where, where woke activism is most pronounced, i.e. gender and race studies and other similar disciplines, were not as um well developed back in the sixties as they are now. I assume they didn't they comprised a smaller share of you know the total faculty. Uh, is that oh yeah right?
5: yeah and it's very interesting though to look at the origins. You, you're probably aware of this, right? I mean the University of San Francisco. There was um essentially the you know, students, radical black and perhaps some some white students for a Democratic societies. Uh, you know they struck at the uh, University of San Francisco in 1968 demanding 50 black studies positions um, and yes. hope that any black student be admitted. And, and they were at this for a year and they got most of what they wanted. And the same thing occurs at, at a number of other universities. In Cornell, that was a demand. So the birth of this, the grievance studies programs is explicitly and nakedly political. It was by force, not by, oh, look, there's a lot of demand from students for this kind of program, so we should cater to it. No, it was, it was by force. It was very political. And yeah, it very much gathers steam and builds up. And that, of course, then produces more graduates who can staff the, the unfolding EDI bureaucracy. And, and this is all about producing more minions, more supply, which I think is critical. Is is a rising supply side. Yeah. More academics, tilts the balance in academia further and further to the left. And yeah, it's all about building up supply. I just think the doors were, were always open because people didn't have a good reply um, to, hey, how we want 50 black studies position. What's your answer to that? If you, if you disagree with that,
0: you are racist. Okay, that's uh, Eric Kaufman, author of the terrific book White Shift. It's now 3.55 p.m. Friday afternoon in Tannum Sands, Queensland, Australia, December 30th. I'm going to say a bye-bye for 2022. Bye-bye.